Welcome to the All of Life podcast from Redemption Church Tempe, where we have conversations on faith, culture, theology, and beyond to help us live all of life, all for Jesus. Let's jump into today's episode. I'm here today with Dan and Danae Lemoyne. They are co-founders of Revitalize Weight Loss and Wellness. Thank you so much for being on the podcast, guys. We're honored. Thank you for having us. Our pleasure. Okay, so you are both based in Phoenix now, um, but haven't always been. Tell us a little bit about your work and life in other places you've lived. Yeah, so we actually, we both grew up in Ohio originally. We met back in high school. Um at a, at a church camp, actually. Oh, um, so good. Yeah. So we were, were from the Ohio area. Um, we both ended up going um, independently, choosing our undergrad university, um, also in Ohio. And so we went to college together. Our paths kind of crossed on and off. Um, and then towards the end of college, we started hanging out a bit more again, Um, but Dan was already committed to moving to Scotland at that point to play rugby. Um, and I was committed to moving to Phoenix, um, for education. And I was studying out here, um, at ASU for my master's program. And so our kind of paths diverged a little bit there. Um, but then we ended up, Dan came back stateside and we found ourselves talking more and more, um, until eventually we started dating. That was like how many years after college? I don't know, two years after college. So we had known each other over at this point when we finally started dating. Um, And I moved back to Ohio, um, but kind of said, hey, I got one year here, like (laughs) too cold, very hometown. Um, We ended up getting engaged. And when we got married, we moved to the Dominican Republic, which is a bit of a wild story in and of itself. But we were there for five years. Um, and then decided to transition back stateside, um, when we decided to, um, really start revitalize oh, a little bit of like our, our place timeline. We were doing different things in and out of there as well. Yeah. And, um, what kind of work were you doing in the Dominican? So we actually ran a school called Dulos Discovery School. Um, Danae was the headmaster and then I did a little of this, a little of that. So I started as um, kind of leading outdoor expeditions for the kids. So all the outdoor field work as it was oh. an expeditionary learning school um, and, uh, and then ended up transitioning after kind of stepping away for a season to start my own thing, ended up coming back to the school on the kind of donor development side of, and fundraising side of things. Okay. Uh, but what really kind of brought us there, or, or at least kind of my journey to that point of kind of moving into a Christian nonprofit was after I had moved back from Scotland, had a, had a job in the kind of financial sector and just started really questioning whether like, is this what the next 35 years of my life looks like? Um, mm-hmm. Is it, and really kind of, I guess, having a kind of a crisis of vocation of like, is, is this what there is, is, does God have a place for business and really kind of doubting whether that was true. Um, and really, I think during those five years that we spent in the Dominican got, got to meet some, some really interesting individuals who helped shape my worldview on business that ultimately led to this place of being, wanting to be back in the business world. Hmm. Um, uh, which is why I tried to start something while I was down there. And then eventually felt like some of those ambitions needed to be played out back here, uh, stateside. Wow. Okay. So how long have you lived in Phoenix then? 
This will be year five we're heading into. Yeah, 2017, we moved back from the Dominican, spent a month or two up in Cleveland, and then said, where's the hottest place we could go? (laughs) (laughs) When you live in the Caribbean for five years, you do not move back to the Midwest. That's for sure. A little pendulum swing, yeah. (laughs) Okay, so so the story of Revitalize. So you where there was this stirring to re-enter the business world with a renewed vision for how the gospel shapes that. Um, why and how weight loss and wellness? So I think there's, uh, for me at least, there was the the very kind of practical side of things of, I knew I wanted to get, be back in the business world. Ideally, I'd like to start or own my own thing, but having had kind of a, a startup that fizzled because of a variety of reasons in the Dominican knew that I didn't want to start something from like concept ground zero and try to Mm. build from there. And my father-in-law had a kind of a bolt on weight loss program that he was using in his spine clinic in, in Cleveland that uh, after kind of more diving in with him and then seeing my mom go through the program, really feeling like, Hey, there's maybe some magic here. Would you consider letting us see if this travels and go take it to a, a larger market, a different market, wow. frankly, a, a warmer place than, than Cleveland. <laughs> no, no. So we looked at Florida and we looked at Arizona and um, felt like Phoenix was, was the spot. And so there's that side of it. And then I think as uh, at least for me, as I I've gotten deeper and deeper into this world, having been kind of a collegiate athlete and, and just loving kind of fitness and, and nutrition in general, just seeing like how icky this industry kind of is hmm. to begin with. Um, and just like a lot of body shaming or marketing you see, that's just like unattainable bodies that are airbrushed and things like that. And I think yeah. the way that we try to approach things in, in the way that we're kind of speaking with and, and regarding clients is a little bit different than what you'd probably find at most weight loss clinics. I love that. We, I like to talk about, you know, how we're all called to be a redemptive presence. And part of that means taking a look at the industries that we're called to and seeing the ways that the image of God has been distorted, you know, who um, God created us to be has been distorted and entering in as this redemptive presence with, with new life. So I love that. Um, Okay. Help us understand this, the process of revitalize, maybe a couple, a story or two of a client um, to help us understand the process that they go through. Yeah. Do you want to feel that one or me? Yeah. So um, the, our typical process, maybe I can give like a quick overview of our kind of approach and philosophy, and then we can maybe pepper that in with some you know, testimonials of some clients that awesome. come to our minds. Um, but we're really focused on a whole food approach and really figuring out what are the optimal foods for that individual's body for the purpose of, of weight loss. And then more importantly than weight loss, just metabolic repair. So we use a couple of different pieces of really cool technology that help give us an understanding of this individual and, and their unique um, nutritional needs. Uh, and we structure a plan for that. Um, we want folks eating a lot of food. There's no calorie counting or calorie restriction. And they're usually in kind of a structured weight loss phase for between 20 and 40 days. And then we move into uh, kind of a reintroduction period where we get back to uh, slowly get back to just saying, hey, everything under the sun is allowable. And, and you know, we'd like to say, fear, you know, don't fear food. You, there's a lot of really good programs out there that work really well, so long as you never uh, think about a carb ever again, uh, <laughs> yeah. and all the way back. Right. And so, um, that's really our kind of approach is that if we can use some, some really cool technology to understand your body, give you a roadmap to fixing your metabolism, and then also knowing what foods are best and then layering on a lot of coaching and kind of a high personal touch, uh, to help you kind of forge some of these lifestyle changes, 
um, you're pretty bulletproof at that point. Um, hmm. and so that's, that's really our philosophy and, um, yeah, the, yeah. I think one of the things I love about our program is it's, it's very, like, it's a very clear roadmap. And I think mm-hmm. for a lot of people, it's like, oh gosh, I've Googled a bunch of different things or I'm trying what my cousin tried and it's not working the same for me. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas it's a very customized plan with us at Revitalize. And so it's very step-by-step. Um, but I almost like to think about it as, um, as a triangle where we start very structured up at the top and then stage mm-hmm. by stage, our program is broken down into more and more um kind of like freedom and flexibility, I think you could say. Um, And that is paired really nicely with education. So it's really fun when our clients come in. I think there are some clients who are like, tell me what to do and I'll do it. Like I'll buy all the bars and shapes. (laughs) That's not going to be here, right? Like we're whole food. Um, Whereas we joke and call those bars and shakes like food-like substances. (laughs) Um, But so we start with a very clear roadmap that I think builds safety, builds confidence, um, during which time there our clients are coming in for weekly coaching sessions, mm-hmm. um, meeting with a health coach, seeing their internal numbers through technology, but also asking questions and learning more about their body and nutrition in general. Um, and so with each new stage, we're introducing different food groups um, and seeing how their bodies respond mm-hmm. and where they're running into problems and where their victories are. Um And so one of the things that I love seeing with our clients is by the end, and we actually journey with clients for a full year. So when they finish the more structured stages of the program, they start coming in every four to six weeks based on their preferences um, for the remainder of the year. Um, And it's fun because our clients will come in and they'll be like, okay, I'm really excited to be in this month. I want to talk about this, this, and this, but I think my hydration levels have gone up because I've been really focusing on my water and vegetable intake. And they're like, speaking the language they're coaching themselves in their yeah. really self-directive in their, in their journeys, which is always so exciting for me. I think probably as a former educator too, where mm-hmm. I'm like, you're owning this, like you, this is your health journey. Um, and so it's really fun to see that kind of difference from start to finish with folks. Mm-hmm. Oh, it seems, yeah, like you said, so unique and different than what, than what tends to be out there. We tend to have like kind of a variety. We get to see a lot of different people. And so we, you know, we've got some folks like there's this one gentleman named Louie that was just, I would say like the grouchiest guy I've ever met. (laughs) Like literally got in fight with his wife. I had to excuse myself from the consultation and left in like a tizzy. And then they eventually came back and I was like, oh boy, is this going to be a journey or what? And by the end of it, like he's at the front desk, you know, 40 pounds later crying being like, I've went walking on the beach with my wife for the first time in forever. And, um, to just kind of see like folks start to regain the sense of agency over their health and over their weight, uh, is really powerful. Cause I think sometimes we just feel like we're at the effect of my diabetes or we're at the effect of these food cravings that I can't get on top of. And to see kind of through the, mm. the biochemical changes of losing weight and being on a whole food program that's customized to you to the actual like skill education work that that Danae's talking about our, our coaches putting people through you do see this like locus control kind of returning back to the client where they're like wow I actually do have the freedom to still enjoy things but I also now have this freedom to not enjoy things or to yeah. put myself through the paces so I can I can you know lose the weight after the holidays and more than that just the freedom that comes from that structure and that discipline to be able to go for a walk pain-free mm-hmm. or get up and down mm-hmm. off the ground with your grandkids or, you know, we had a client who really loves, um, 
like vintage cars. Uh, and we talk a lot about our clients. Why, right? Like, why are they here with us? Why um, do they really want to lose this weight? Um, and there might be a lot of extrinsic whys initially, but when you get down to it, there are more intrinsic things as well. Mm-hmm. But um, one client, his why was I can no longer fit behind the wheel of a lot of my vintage cars. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like my belly is kind of in the way of the steering wheel. And this is just something I love to do on the weekends. I go on road trips. I bring my wife. Like, it's just so fun and freeing. And I can't do that anymore. And what was interesting about this individual, and I was actually just talking with his doctor yesterday at one of the Suns games that you go to. Yeah. uh, Was that like his doc had been like for years, like you've got to do something. You're on these diabetes medications. Like you're, this is, there's only one way this is going. And he just never, it wasn't the inciting incident until he got into his Model T and he's like, these are made for smaller people. Like, oh my gosh, yeah. and I can't get into this anymore. And this is like one of my deep passions in life that now is being threatened by, by my weight. And it's just, it's just interesting, right? Cause we assume that everybody's rational and like, well, why don't you just do this or do that? And it's like, mm. because readiness is a cycle. And sometimes that inciting incident isn't just head knowledge. It's wow, this is really affecting areas in my life that I'm very passionate about. Yeah. Oh man. I heard you guys say so many things that reflect kind of a biblical worldview, <clears throat> a biblical understanding of the goodness of food, of our bodies, of, um, holistic restoration, all of it. So talk through some of how did your own understanding, um, of a biblical vision for humanity shape the work that you guys do? For me, it's almost the opposite. Like it, I think the work that we're doing continues to shape my understanding of, of humanity, of a biblical vision of humanity. And the big one for me that I think I've been pretty passionate about over the last couple of years is just having like more empathy for folks who wrestle with their weight. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I was probably in that camp of like, it's pretty simple, like diet and exercise, like stop eating junk, go move your body more. And as I've gotten more engrossed into this world, understanding that it's really not that simple and that there's so many things that can go all the way back to like birth and whether you were breastfed or formula fed that can impact your body's ability to metabolize certain things or, or stay at a, at a, at a healthy weight and to just have a little bit more, um, yeah, empathy and grace for folks who, who are a wrestling more, a lot more, yeah, <laughs> a lot more empathy and grace for folks who really, really wrestle, um, with their, with their weight. Um, hmm because I think it's really easy to just assume, I think from a, from our, at least our, I think our culture does a, a poor job of just saying like, Oh, well, if, you know, if you're overweight, it's because you're lazy or because you're not trying hard enough or you're eating too much junk. And we see a lot of folks who come to us who are just, they're in tears and they're like, yeah, I'm yeah. trying everything. And my body mm-hmm. seems to just be resisting me. And mm-hmm. as we have learned how God has created our bodies, after traumas or birth of kids or menopause or divorces and stress, like all of that can affect your metabolism and the body doesn't want to let go of that weight. It's a, it's a form of protection. It's a beautiful form of protection, especially if there wasn't a, a, you know, McDonald's on every corner where we could get fed, but there is, and our, I think our brains and our bodies haven't caught up to that yet. And so um, to just have a little bit more empathy for our fellow humans who maybe are wrestling it, kind of living an overweight life. Mm. And I think even your, like your worldview, your Christian worldview has deeply been shaped by, I would honor, um, honestly say Nancy Percy's total truth, new mm. book study that you kind of went through with a couple folks, wouldn't you? Yeah. I think if, yeah, total truth by Nancy Percy was really helpful for me and just shaping like 
And I think having a renewed vision for business in general of like, it's not necessarily the, what you're doing, but how you do it. Um, mm-hmm. I think you can be getting a lot of results or, you know, in the church world, you can be seeing a lot of butts in the seats, but if the way that you're, you're achieving those results, isn't a way that honors God, I'd argue that maybe that isn't actually a good thing. Hmm. And I think for me, I mean, I just see that, I mean, we're, we know biblically that we are, we're integrated beings, body, yeah. mind, spirit, right? And we see very early on in the Garden of Eden, one of the first responses um, that came from sin was a hiding and a shame of our bodies. Mm-hmm. And I think that is something that plagues us still um, societally and culturally is just this shame. Um, and I think marketers have found that out and played to that, yeah. quite frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think I'm I'm very deeply passionate about um, redeeming that message as well. And I think in the same way that God comes looking for Adam and Eve in the garden, right? Um, mm-hmm. There's a piece of like, yes, how do we how do we let people know that it's okay to be seen and it's okay to open up this vulnerable piece of, of their life. Um, and it's a sacred place, um, for us that revitalize and you're stepping on a scale and you're looking at internal numbers and you're talking about weight and food and struggles and habits, um, that have very real repercussions in life. And that might be the first time that people have ever stepped on a scale, in the past year, it might be the first time in their entire lives where they've ever shared that number with anyone. And so to be really intentional and to be really conscientious of the privilege that is to walk alongside them in this area, I think is super important for us as a staff and us as a, as an organization to be aware of. Um, But I think just this idea of when we can connect our body, our mind, our habits, um, our spiritual practices, when we are, when we're well in those different areas, that I think just leads to flourishing that leads to health that's integrated and really like all of life is all for Jesus. Right. So everything that we're eating, everything that we're cooking, and those are generational pieces that we're leaving for our kids and for our families, we're teaching them how to eat, how to cook, Mm -hmm. how to view and talk about our bodies. When you see a mom stand in front of the mirror and tell herself horrible things, her little daughter's right there watching, um, and picking those things up as well. And so I just think this, this work that we do is really beautiful for being able to, to invite folks, um, out of a story of shame and into, um, a story of healing and just like celebrating the steps that they are taking, um, to own their journeys and to own their health. Mm. Just this vision of holistic restoration that we were made to be at peace with the creation, with ourselves internally in relationship. And just to see that vision of, yeah, the goal is not just loose and pounds, but this full restoration. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I love the how, Danae, I've heard that you're amazing at forming a company culture that really does just that, that walks with people, humanizes them. Um, yeah. Can you walk us, I would love for you to walk us through some of those commitments. You have some kind of on paper distinctives. Maybe you could just share what each one is and what it kind of looks like played out. Um, so the first commitment is personal connection. Yeah. So we refer to these commitments as our core values. Um, and I think they serve just as much as an anchor as they do a compass. 
right? Of like they're grounding and they're what we've based our practices on, but they're also aspirational. I think there's still so many ways where I'm like, oh, we could be living more deeply into this or, oh, I wonder what this will look like in the next season. So there's always that part of me of that tension to manage of this is who we are, but also who we want to be. But yeah, personal connection, I think is it's just the underpinning of everything we do. Um, and this applies to us internally as a staff, as well as our relationship um, as a team with our clients. So personal connection, I think, is just this piece of, of caring and deeply connecting. Um, and I think trust is key to that, building that trust time and time again, Um And I think a lot of folks come to us after feeling like I was just a number somewhere or sure I lost the weight, but it was all water weight. And I just am very skeptical. And so I think as we show people don't know that we care until we tell them, until we show them. And I think a lot of that happens um, through relationship. And so relationship building, I think is another way to look at personal connection. Um, But it's this, and statistically, um, folks who struggle with being overweight are, um, are overlooked in terms of general yeah. greetings, work promotions, things like that, which I think makes yeah. it all the more important um, that this personal connection is happening through eye contact, through mm. greetings, through remembering details about people's lives and their journeys and their wants and their needs and their whys. Um, so that's a little bit about, about personal connection. Yeah. And I think, I think from a, as we go through life to think that, okay, I'm going to lose a hundred pounds and keep it off for the rest of my life is an excellent aspiration, but there's seasons and knowing that like, there may be seasons when my weight fluctuates. And we feel that as a business, if we've really put in the relational work to connect personally with folks, they're going to be more prone to say, Hey, I think I need to recalibrate with you guys four or five Mm -hmm. years down the road. Um, rather than say, Oh, they just forgot about me. And, um, or I didn't have that personal connection. So I'm going to go try a different program. I think so from a very kind of practical business sense that it, um, it's not only the right thing to do, but I think it's, it's also the right, it makes business sense as well. Mm -hmm. The, The more kind of personal ties that I have to certain brands or people at a certain place, the more likely I am to patronize those places, refer friends to those places and things like that. Yeah. And I love even our clinic manager who has not been actively coaching for two and a half years. She still gets emails from clients being like, Hey, can I come back in or which supplement would you recommend? And I think it just speaks to those really strong personal connections and relationships Mm -hmm. that our staff um, have built over the years. I think one of the things that I'm wrestling with, because we do have a quite a volume of people come to us, but I have a good friend and mentor, Zach Clark, who uh, in his coaching practice, um, he's like, we want to build 30 year relationships with employees, with clients, potential clients. And so everything they do, just like that being kind of a guiding focus for them, it reframes the actions they take, the communications they send, how they follow up. Um, cause they're like, we're in it for the long game. Like we want 30 year relationships with people. And, yeah. uh, you know, I've been thinking through and challenged like, what would that look like for us to stay as a, as a, you know, weight loss company, how do we position ourselves as like their go-to top of mind place for not just the next year, but for the next 10 years, the next 15 mm-hmm. years, the next 30 years, because life does happen and you go through different seasons where you're up and down and need more support in certain areas of your life and help is, you know is one of those areas as well. So anyways. Yeah. Such a different perspective than getting like a quick sale or, um, yeah. 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 
think and I think next along the lines of personal connection, last thing mm-hmm. is during our interview process, we really look for um, core values in the way that we've guided our and designed our questions and the interview mm-hmm. process itself. But one of the last questions that we always ask, which seems kind of silly, but is huge for us is, would we want this person to come on a road trip with us? Um, so good. <laughs> and so I feel like that also speaks to not a homogenous group, but, um, a level of like, do we think that there is a connection there and not that everyone needs to be best friends, um, inside and outside of work. But I think this idea of like, yeah, like, are they going to be we have a really cool con- team? Yeah. Contributing think- to this culture uh-huh. that we're trying to build or yeah. from? And we've had folks who've made it pretty far into our interview process that at the end of the day, we were like, Man, they seem to check a lot of the boxes. Everything's but, straight on paper. Uh, There's just something that it doesn't seem <laughs> like they're for the team, or mm. you know, you just get a, a feeling that this may not be a good fit. Yeah. But the road trip question will kind of tease that road so trip. <laughs> <laughs> so, do you ask what? Uh, what do you? Uh, what station do you put on the radio on Long Island? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> no, you pick that kind of thing up, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay. The next one, I love this boldness for good. Yeah. So this is a bit, um, a bit of a wild one for us. Um, but I think it's this, this is born out of a place of deep conviction. And like, Mm -hmm. even the way that we describe this core value uses strong words. Um, and this is not boldness for boldness sake, right? Like I'm going to speak my truth or, you always know that like boldness for boldness sake is coming when it's like, no offense, but or yeah, <laughs> like that. Right. Um, but this is really stepping into hard conversations and hard places because it's for the good of others, because it's for the good of culture, of communication, of health, of whatever that might look like. Um, and so we really, it stems from this place of conviction that people are worth investing in and relationships are worth investing in and no relationship is going to come without conflict at some point. And if we just choose to sweep things under the rug, that just creates a lumpy carpet. Um, and that kind of concept comes from, I don't know if you know, the founder of, um, soul cycle, Julie Rice. Oh no. There's a cool story there, but we, um, this, I, this concept of lumpy carpets kind of came Mm. out of that, um, and I think it's, it's so true, like shying away from those hard conversations and just sweeping it under the rug. We trip on those lumps later um, and they do resurface. Right. And so if we can train our staff to engage in these hard conversations um, and actually train, we train on frameworks for how to have them, for how to receive them. Um, so that we're coming from this shared space and this shared language, um, but I think that leads to a deeper sense of personal connection as well as, um, you know, it plays into some of our other core values as well. But I think that that shows people that you're worth investing in because we can, and we choose oftentimes in other realms to cut someone out or to just ghost them in today's culture or Mm -hmm. to just kind of fly off the handle instead of saying, no, we're going to work towards hard conversations with a sense of boldness, um, like leaning into that with bravery because, because this is a relationship we want to work through. Yeah. We we kind of talk about this spectrum of confrontation, um, you know, like, uh, maybe being in the middle or conflict Mm -hmm. in the middle. And so we move from this side of isolation and frustration and, um, 
in Spanish, you say a choque, um, uh, <laughs> a struggle. Um, and then you move towards intimacy as you mm-hmm. engage in that confrontation and you lean into that conflict. So we talk about leaning in when everything about you wants to pull away. Wow. Um, and I think that leads to intimacy, intimacy mm-hmm. in the best possible ways relationally um, that I think comes when we engage in, in boldness for good. I think mm-hmm. this is one of those countercultural kind of business practices where like, you know, typically if you're put on a performance improvement plan at work, usually that's like signaling to you, like, okay, this is like the formal final step before they, they, you know, they retire me. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And like, we're really trying to reframe that where like, we, we may put you on a performance improvement because we, we genuinely want you to improve your self-leadership or improve your coaching or get better. Um, and it's not a punitive thing. This is just an opportunity for you to, to grow as an individual and to grow as a teammate and become more healthy, active teammate. Um, and that's scary for people, especially at folks. We do hire some folks who are kind of on the younger end of the spectrum and they're coming fresh out of college and they're like, let's go. And then there's some folks who are like coming in with a lot of work baggage that we have to work through to be like, Hey, feedback isn't bad. Mm-hmm. Like criticism, if done well, isn't, isn't a bad thing. Like this is for the, the collective good and for your good. And I think that's one of those ones that I know that I wrestle with because I'm like conflict avoidant. I'm, I let it percolate. I get the lumpy carpets and then I just explode in frustration. Um, and so this is an area that's probably more aspirational for me, frankly, than, um, but it's a good one that we've, we've kind of forged and decided that this is a, one of our core, core things. It's, it's, I mean, it's so valuable in our culture. You know, the, your staff, it's got to transform their intimate relationships, you know, their friendships to be able to learn how to do this well. And then it just strikes me of how important if they can receive it, how they can offer it in love and um, in a way that that clients can receive um, in those hard conversations. So it seems so important. Yeah. I mean, Tina, I think Denise probably got a couple anecdotes of just some of our staff members and part of her training. Uh, like most of our staff members are like, why have I not been taught this? Like, this is like human training, like is our, like the, the kind of culture piece of our, <laughs> our eight week training for our new staff. But a lot of them will come to tears because like we challenge them to go have brave conversations with somebody in their life that they feel like they're, they got lumpy carpets with. And I don't know if you've got any that jumped to mind today, but there's been some powerful ones I've heard. Yeah, I can think of one. Um, and she, I've asked her at one point, do you mind if I share this? I just feel like it's so powerful. And she's given full, full green light there. Um, but her, she had a really strained relationship with her brother. Um, and she had made a comment um, to him, kind of not knowing where he was at, and then um, found out via her mom that he was in rehab. Oh, wow. And he hadn't told her. Um that he was in rehab. He hadn't told her the depth of his struggle. And she was just thinking like, it's because of this comment that I made. Um, Mm. and there was this whole big elephant in the room where she knew he was in rehab, but he didn't know that she knew. And she was just like, I feel like I can't talk to him authentically because I feel like I'm hiding this giant secret that I know. And so that was part of during training, what we worked towards for her to kind of craft, um, her bold conversation with him to talk about what that would look like to move forward. Um, And so we set a time like, hey, when, and one of the things that we do is we'll set like, okay, when are you gonna have your conversation? And then when are we gonna all meet to debrief to kind of talk through what went well, what didn't, where can we go from here? Um, And she came back and she was just in tears. She was Mm -hmm. like, it was one of the most restorative conversations I've ever had with anyone. 
ever. Um, and to be able to talk to her brother to say, Hey, I know this, Hey, I'm carrying all of this guilt. And I just want you to know that like my one-off comment, I had no idea the depth of the struggle that you were in. Mm -hmm. This is what I want for our relationship moving forward. Um, and for them to be able to essentially like rebuild what had been a very broken relationship for a long time, um, was just so cool to see come out of, um, some of the training surrounding boldness for good. Wow. Oh, that is a really beautiful story. Wow. But, yes. He, he, did you say, Dan, did you say human school? I feel like this is, yeah. Uh, yeah. Can we, this just be human school. Can everybody, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. yeah. And then you have conversations where you're prepping for your roommate. Who's, you know, you, you would call a slob yeah. at the beginning of the conversation. And then you're like, okay, so there's everything in between, yeah. but, um, I do feel like it's, it's really powerful. Mm -hmm. Okay. The next is eager professionalism. Yeah. I think every um, business would say professionalism is, you know, like the bare minimum there, but I do feel like this sense of eager professionalism that we talk about at revitalize is really going about our work with a sense of brightness. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's this, it's this, and I think it's what almost moves from what can feel rote or what can feel, um, dutiful to transformative. Um, and it's this transformative caregiving when we go the extra mile for one another, when we have this kind of figure it out, um, mentality, um, when we're constantly smiling and, um, we have this sense of brightness that I think you can't help, but get sucked into this like positive vortex, yeah. um, of lateral support of enjoying where you're at, of creating this happy, healthy environment. Um, and that's one of the things that I love, and it's not just a one-time action, right? Like this is eager professionalism and our habits. And so we talk a lot about this idea of follow through, follow up and follow back. Hmm. Follow through is do what you said you'd do, what you committed to. And then following up is to say like, I'm just looping back here. Wanted to make sure that this worked for you or that you got that email that I promised I'd send, or was this, did I do this correctly? Um, and then following back is if it didn't work, trying again, hmm. um, or if someone didn't respond after that follow-up attempt, continuing with it, instead of letting it drop off the radar. Um, and I think eager professionalism really plays into personal connection because it builds that trust. Wow, right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I think that's a very tangible, practical way to, to show people that we care and to connect with them. To say, I'm not just going to tell you when you're in front of me yeah. during a coaching session to like, Hey, do this. I'm actually going to reach out midweek to see how you're feeling. Did that mm -hmm. work? If not, I'm going to suggest something else. Um, just showing that I care through that sense of eager professionalism. Mm -hmm. It's so good. There's a substance behind the connection. It's not just, you know, being nice. There's a, there's mm -hmm. a follow through a substance, a commitment. Yeah. And so I like think you practically speaking, you have people who are investing a lot of a lot of their time, energy. I mean, it's a big lifestyle shift and it's, it, our program costs, costs money. Like we're a premier yeah. program and, um, nothing's worse than when you spend money on something and you just feel like you're getting like second, second rate kind of care. care. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. One of the last of the core values is empathy and authority. So those, those are paired together on purpose, right? Mm -hmm. It's true. That we, we talk about attention to manage, right? If we're leaning in all into empathy, we move into a cheerleader route. Um, and if we move into all authority, that gets judgy really fast. Um, and so holding intention, both empathy and authority, 
I think is really key um, and figuring out what each client needs each visit, each week, Mm -hmm. which really changes. Um, And it might change week one to week two, or when you think you've got it figured out, all of a sudden they're in a different stage and they're needing something different. Um, But I think this idea of empathy is really saying we're with you, we're in this with you um, and we care, Mm -hmm. right? It's not this kind of like sage on a stage. We're just going to tell you what to do. Um, it's very much this kind of guide on the side. We're walking with you in this, um, empathy. We do have to talk about, we have our staff care so deeply. So we do talk about not carrying the weight of everything of our clients. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it is verbally expressing and acknowledging the hard that, that it can be to overhaul your life habits and to make these changes. Um, and so I think also, just letting people know we see them as we see ourselves. We draw from our personal experience to connect with others in that way um, and, and really balance. When is it time to, to acknowledge some of that struggle? And then when is it sometimes important to transition um, and to challenge them from a place mm-hmm. of authority to say, but you've also asked us to hold you accountable and to hold your feet to the fire here, or, okay, it sounds like this is really challenging, but I'm going to invite you to move through that challenge, um, and take this next step. Um, and so really making sure our authority is able to shine through of that. We can help problem solve when folks run into roadblocks, um, that we practice what we preach, that we're all living a healthy lifestyle. And that doesn't mean that we're perfect or, you know, I think any of our staff members will go to a party and someone looks at your plate and they're like, what do you have? you're eating a piece of pizza, (laughs) Um, right? Like this is the idea of fear, no food. And this is, um, that's okay. But I'm also not eating pizza every night of the week for my dinner, right? There's a balance there. Um, I think comes with authority of like, yes, we, we not only have that head knowledge of how to coach our clients and how to live this well, but we also have that practical piece that we're living it out as well. Um, I think is really important for building authority and trust for our clients. Yeah. I think we kind of borrowed this concept from Donald Miller and some of his like story framework of just like every great guide and every kind of movie or book that we, we love the guide always has this balance of empathy. Like I've already walked this road. Like I've Mm -hmm. already gone before you, but also has this authority of like, and I've succeeded. Mm -hmm. So you can believe mm-hmm. me. it's not like if, if I'm all empathy and you're like coming in saying like, yeah, I ate, uh, you know, 17 donuts this week. I'd be like, yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> like I wrestle with that too, but I actually haven't kind of overcome it. I'm less believable than saying like, I've been there too. I've struggled with overeating. Um, but here's how I've been able to get through it. Or here are my, you know, there's times where it's like, we do flex a little bit and it's like, let us lean on our board certifications or, you know, Dr. Boods, you know, doctor credentials, things like that give a sense of authority, but also knowing that like Dr. Bood lost 30 pounds when he, at the Genesis of this program, um, gives this sense of like, okay, he's been there too. He's walked that road. And I think that's the balance we try to strike. Um, because I think it builds trust. And actually all of our staff members go through the program themselves. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. So no one is ever talking to a client without having experienced it. And there'll be modifications based on their level of health to make sure, you know, we're not losing too much weight into the unhealthy space. Um, but I think that brings a sense of authority and empathy to say, mm-hmm. gosh, I remember what that was like to, 
kind of panic on day one to be like, I don't know how to cook this way, or I don't know how to grocery shop, or I'm going out to dinner with friends and I'm turning down, you know, my postino bruschetta or my glass <laughs> of wine and whatever that might be. Right. Um, so I think that, um, that experience, experiential learning speaks to both empathy and authority as well. Mm-hmm. And not to make Jesus the answer to everything, but it, it, it totally makes me think of, of Jesus, like his interactions with people who are vulnerable, you know, in his mm-hmm. life. And then also just with us, like he does empathize with our weaknesses, but he also says, go and sin no more. There is this reality of yeah. me too. I, I like, I've, I know the struggle, but, and I see you and I'm with you, but you know, I, I want to press you towards this, this vision mm-hmm. of wholeness and yeah, it's so good. Yeah. Has there been anything significant, either challenges or vital pieces in kind of sustaining this type of culture? Maybe someone's thinking about how to, um, I'm even thinking family culture, some of these things I'm like, Oh, I want to use that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. Any, any kind of tips for people? We've definitely gone through seasons. I think where we're, these are way more aspirational than they are things that we're living into. And that's really hard. I think for both Danae and I, who tend to be a little bit more type a, like if it's, if it's broke, we're doing everything we can to fix it. And I think we're still learning how to like be okay when things aren't hundred percent in all of these different areas. Um, but yeah, we've gone through seasons where you have like little breakout kind of cohorts who are bad apples or there's more gossip here. And, uh, it, I think it's been a challenge to try to figure out how to undo those things or undo, um, some of those habits. So I, I, Danae can probably get into more specifics, but I think one of the areas that we've really leveled up that Danae's kind of re-stepped back into over the last couple of years is like, if we can train people appropriately and then set up, um, because the, I guess the environment for one that encourages the right type of things and, de- and de- discourages the, the wrong type of mm-hmm. things, it, it, it makes life so much more easy, you know? I'd even say one of those points, I think, is when organizationally, when we hit this transition of we're growing so much that Dan and I aren't always around to, you know, at first it was easy when I've got my little team of five every day to really like craft and manage and redirect um, this culture. And then you're moving to the point where you're like, oh gosh, culture has to sustain itself. This has to be, each person has to be the vanguard of this culture because we're not behind closed doors or we're not in the break room when some of these conversations are happening or right. um, Whatever that might look like. And so I think one of the, that's been one of the challenges, right? Is how do we, how do we really make sure that this is not something that's like top down, but this is something shared and lived into and vanguarded by each one of us. Um, And along those lines, I feel like it's been really beautiful to see um, from multi-tiers of leadership, from our assistant clinic managers, to our clinic managers, to our lead coaches, to um, our receptionists like you see it across the board, but it's really been awesome because I think, yeah, I think we've structured a lot of things there too, but I think our staff have seen the power of these core values in action, Mm -hmm. particularly, I think because boldness for good is such a radical one. That is one that people are like, it is revolutionary. Like, how can I not have these conversations with my coworkers now? Um, and they're, or they'll mention something in the break room and you'll hear a coworker say, sounds like you might need to have a bold conversation there. And like that redirection oh happening from one another is just like, like shutting down the gossip sing. to be like, yeah. you need to go talk to that person directly. Yes. Uh, uh-huh. So, which is pretty, pretty fantastic. And then, and we, we work, I think we, 
we've structured some things to really try to get folks. I think our team in just innately has this buy-in for the clients and they act uh, just in positive regard towards them. But we've also layered on some things that really try to um, give them a sense of ownership of this business as well. Like we have mm. a, like a profit share or a gain share plan that we really use as a tool to double down on these core values and how they connect to, to the bottom line. And we double down on these things that, that essentially gives them, educates them so they can think like owners, empowers them so they can act like owners and, um, you know, really gives them a stake in the outcome so they can feel like owners. So when we're all winning that they're winning financially as well. Um, and I think that's just another layer of feeling like, Hey, I, I have a sense of ownership of this. And so I, and then we, we train and we continue to celebrate these, these core values. I mean, when COVID broke, we basically went into wartime priorities of like, what's mm -hmm. the most essential. And it yeah. was number one revenue. Like we need to figure out ways to keep, keep the doors open. Um, and how are we going to do that? We just doubled down on our, our core values. If we truly felt like those were the driving force of our business, like, mm. all right, personal connection, we're celebrating that at every single checkout at the end of the day. Okay. Boldness for good. Give me examples of where you were bold and challenged a, a client to, to stay with it as the world seems like it's falling apart. And it was really beautiful to see us navigate a really hairy season that could have, well, it did shut down other businesses and we were able mm -hmm. to navigate it really successfully. And I, I think in part because we just stuck to our guns on those things. Wow. And I think one of the other challenges there is to move from a place of I'm mentally bought in, but to actively be a leader in this realm yeah. um, is kind of a different step, right? Or I might be able to live into these core values with clients, but with my coworkers, it's a bit more challenging or, okay, I'm managing and kind of like mastering this level with coworkers, but to also have bold conversations with my supervisors or to live into these values like upward as well. Um, and one of the things that we talk about is the difference between being a thermometer and a thermostat. Mm -hmm. um, whereas a thermometer kind of measures and reflects the temperature around us, a thermostat actually sets that temperature um, and sets that tone. And so challenging <clears throat> each one of our teammates to be a thermostat um, culturally, I think is a really powerful thing that we've seen at work as well, where it's not like, oh, I'm just hearing something and kind of choosing not to participate and walk away, but no, I'm actually actively leaning into that and redirecting. Um, or, you know, we talked earlier about one of our clients who came in maybe a little bit grouchy um, yeah. <laughs> and kind of was very much that way for the beginning of the coaching experience, but understanding that that happens often. I mean, again, I think fear and vulnerability can lead to skepticism, can lead to a bit of defensiveness, can maybe lead to a bit of grouchiness. And so we yeah. talk about it's not a personal thing when your client is grouchy with you, they are wrestling with a lot of fear, um, maybe a lot of skepticism, things like that. And so it's our job to set the tone there um, and to invite them um, into a different way of thinking and acting. And, you know, that doesn't just mean that we take the grouchiness and if someone's rude to us that we're like, Oh, that's okay. No, it means that we have the bold conversations for our good. And we yeah. use our strategies of holding up the mirror to say, Hey, I don't know if you're aware, but when you said this, you know, your voice really elevated and I'm feeling like you're screaming at me right now or whatever that might be. Um, but I think as we learn to be that thermostat, it's really, it's practicing one of the fruits of the spirit, which is self-control and it's leaning into patience and it's leading to joy and a sense of peace and relational harmony. And 
So I think that's been really beautiful to see a challenge culturally, but something that bears a lot of fruit um, as well. So cool to imagine just how much this, the process it's, it sounds like it wasn't so much that you guys, you know, had everything on paper. This is how I wanted to look, but it's just been this, how much you've learned through the process, through doing it and trying it and how much it's actually shaped your understanding. But what would you tell yourself, um, yourselves back when you were kind of, you know, wrestling with this nonprofit, the only way to go looking back to that, you know, how, however old you were then, what would you tell yourself about how this work actually can witness to Christ? Good question. Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I think on one hand, I, I think I wish I did have a, a like a, a more of a biblical understanding of vocation and that there is no like sector of culture that's outside of God's redemptive work. Um, but on the other hand, I think it was an appropriate kind of leaving to, to kind of forge those, uh, that philosophy of, of vocation a little bit more, um, that I don't think we'd be where we're, we're at today. If I, if I hadn't, if we hadn't done that, that work. So I remember having a conversation with someone really close to me who basically was like, you're throwing your career away by going to the missions field. And, uh, and just trusting that like maybe, but I trust that this is actually going to put us on a completely different trajectory. Um, but I think even in those moments of, I think fear and, and more less fear, more angst of like, once I did have this renewed vision of like, I want to be back in the business world and just like wanted to go, go, go. And we still knew there was probably years ahead of us in the DR to just take a beat and just enjoy the season that you're in trusting that it's like, Hey, these dreams and these, these beautiful things that God's laid on your heart, like will come to fruition in mm -hmm. his time. Um, just be where you're at right now and just enjoy, enjoy that versus like this feeling of like, well, I know that this is what I want to be doing. And now I've got to be, you know, tightly wrapped around the axle trying to make that happen instead of just being and, and just enjoying. And that's probably something I need to be meditating on now, even as I think through like, what does the next 10, 15, 20 years, what do I want it to look like? There's a sense once I have a, a kind of a, a vision on something, I just want to run really fast at that. And I then mm. miss the opportunities to really celebrate and enjoy the kind of the right now, the season we're in right now. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Um, I, I think grace is a word that really comes to mind um, that I think we do tend to have very high expectations for ourselves and for others and feeling like we're making this commitment to our clients. We really want to, to deliver faithfully and excellently to them. Um, but I think also just like the patience that comes and the grace that, um, to show ourselves and our teammates to say, yeah, this is where we're heading, but we might not be there yet. Um, or we might not be living fully into that yet. And that's okay. It's not all high stakes all the time. Um, and I think just kind of that witness, it's almost like this sanctifying reflection, right. Of like, we are, yeah, we are not where we want to be, um, as humans, but we know that, that Christ's work is sanctifying bit by bit over time. And so while we might have a coach or an organizational level where we're not where we want to be sticking through it, um, with patience and with grace and with love, um, little by little until we get there. So we kind of talk about like high support, but also, um, high expectations and holding those both as well. Um, and I think that speaks a little bit to this, to this process of, 
I feel like that's a witness to Christ, um, to say, we're going to love you in the here and now, but also kind of challenge you into this different version of yourself, um, and into new levels of growth and sanctification, um, is something that I think I've wrestled with. Um, but I really feel like it's so beautiful and so important to continue striving and fighting for. Mm. One of the things too, for somebody who might be listening, who's like endeavoring to maybe change careers or start their own thing. Like, I think just becoming okay with like not having it all figured out on the front end. I think it's like so much of like, how awesome would it be to know what we know now kind of going into it afresh, but like that just can't happen. Like so much of your philosophy and, and core values and these things are developed as you're, as you're pressing out and doing uncomfortable things. And I think, um, I think that, sometimes we get caught into this, like, I have to have it all figured out. I have to have my philosophy and, and my mission plan forged ahead of time. When I think in reality, it's like, yeah, just go and do it. And, you know, mm-hmm. oh, so good. Okay. I'd like to end with a fun question, a little imagination. This is a throwback to um, our mutual friend, Jim Mullins, who used to host this podcast. <laughs> I had to keep the imagination. <laughs> I had to keep the imagination question. Okay. So um, there's actually a book, Dan, that you wrote with Dr. Abud um, called Fear No Food that, that you know, kind of lays out some of these things that you've talked about. And there's some recipes in there. Mm. And so I would love if you guys picked one of the recipes, you can either agree on one or each have your own. If you could make one of the recipes in the book for anybody in the world to have at your dinner table, which recipe would it be? And how would you hope that that experience would kind of shape their understanding of life? Mm. Deep under their understanding of life. Wow. Or wow. Their, whatever, you know, yeah. their understanding of food or their bodies or whatever it might be. You know, I can't think of a specific recipe per se, but I, I get really pumped when clients who are like, I just am not a veggie person, mm-hmm. discover ways to make plant heavy meals that they really love. Yeah. So the one that comes to mind, like it sounds super boring, but there's two that come to mind. One is like veggie soup. Like I was thinking veggie there's, soup. Like, you can like. make a, a great soup with a lot of veggies in it. And it just feels like warm and it feels filling and it doesn't mm-hmm. feel like you're just eating a giant salad. Um, that, or like a really good, like, uh, zucchini noodle, like bolognese where you can just like Mm. stuff. I was talking to actually one of our clients, he goes to redemption actually. And he's just like, man, I love that. I can just eat so much and like almost overeat. But since it's mostly plants in, you know, 45 minutes, I feel amazing. And I don't just feel like I need to nap the rest of the day. Mm, Yeah. So I don't know if that answers the question. What about you, Danae? Um, I don't know if this is, I need to recheck to see if it's in the book, but banana ice cream um, is one of my favorite recipes. I think where it's basically just frozen bananas in the food processor with cacao powder, um, maybe some dates um, and some cinnamon and some pink salts. Um, But it's just like chocolatey and it turns into like an ice cream consistency. And I think that's one of my favorite things because it just shows that there's a spectrum of enjoyment. I think oftentimes people feel like, well, to be healthy, A, I have to be perfect all the time or B, I'm going to do it, but it's going to taste yucky. 
Um, and I think it's like, God has given us these beautiful fruits and vegetables that actually taste really great. Um, when we tap into our creativity and our exploration and our enjoyment of them. And I think banana ice cream is one of those things where you're just like, wait, this is literally all that's in here. Um, and even folks who hate quote unquote health foods, um, get excited about banana ice cream or, there was this client who had this tradition of going out to ice cream with his granddaughter every week. And he was like, but what am I going to do? Like, I honestly don't even feel good when I'm eating that ice cream anymore. Um, and so they started making banana ice cream together oh, wow. for their weekly dates. Um, and I just feel like that for me um, just kind of showed how he found enjoyment, found connection and you know, built new habits, not only personally, but for his granddaughter in terms of their enjoyment together with food and good food that nourished them and fueled them instead of, um, yeah, maybe leaving them feeling bloated or, or a little bit sick. And I think that's, yeah, I think that's what I would hope somebody would get out of it too, is that Mm -hmm. like, there is beauty in like the actual, the like making whole foods and like preparing your own meals. And I'm, I don't do that all the time. Like I'm not a, huge kitchen guy but when you do it like it feels kind of good when you're like oh I've like I've put this together or I like made this thing um and invite being able to invite somebody into that um to to share a meal I think there's something kind of and I think just the sharing the sitting and the connection and the conversations that come around a table are so powerful and they're timeless we see it biblically you know one of Jesus's last encounters with his disciples was a supper Mm -hmm. um and what, what are the zones called? The blue zones where people like around the world live pop- the longest, like yeah. there's the highest populations mm-hmm. of like centigenarians and uh-huh. people live over a hundred and like shared meals and like shared kind of community is like a common, they've made like Venn diagrams of like, what are the similarities between all these places all over the world. And, and some are actually uh-huh. diet related, right? Like have a, mm-hmm high amount of plants, whatever that might be. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that's shared by all of those is there's a communal aspect mm-hmm. to eating um, where they're around and it's conversational and it's relationship building. And so I think regardless of the recipe that you're using when you're sitting down and sharing a meal together, there's a, there's a beauty in that. Mm-hmm. Oh, well now I'm hungry and I want to <laughs> hang out with people. So <laughs> guys, thank you so much for both of you, just um, each of you, have these different gifts and and vision and just the way you work together and what you've, um, what you have built in our building. Um, yeah, it's really beautiful. And I'm so grateful that you took the time to share it with us. Yeah. Thanks Thanks for having us, Tina. It was, um, it's just an honor to be able to share, um, a little bit of our journey and to be able to connect with others that you're building in your community to say, yeah, like, how do we reflect the gospel in all that we do? Um, in the way that we work, but also in the way that we rest, in the way that we think. And so thanks for leading us in that. Thanks for listening to this episode of the All of Life podcast. To get more information on Redemption Church Tempe, you can download the Redemption Tempe app, or you can send an email to tempe at redemptionaz.com.